It's like, what are you, Marie Antoinette? She was no lady. We just lost like 50 listeners. Somebody out there knows what I'm talking about. Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that needs a man of your experience and your talent. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. One would hate to be considered old-fashioned. Well, marriage is one of the oldest institutions there is, Tom. Yeah, that's true. This would explain why you're always so behind the times. (laughs) That's true. Also, my general malaise. That... And your velocipede. <laughs> I can't but think that that's really holding you back. Like, velocipedes are coming back. Technology's cyclical. <sighs> Welcome back, cousins. Yes. Here we are with our recap of Mr. Selfridge, Series 2, Episode 4. That's correct, yes. Which I knew. <laughs> you, sure, you certainly did. It's a little tricky. Yeah. It's a little tricky because, you know, sometimes PBS is always wrong. <laughs> That's right. They sometimes always are. That should be <laughs> their slogan. <laughs> PBS, sometimes always wrong. <laughs> Before we get into the recap, however, we do have our Cousin of the Week. Ooh. Cousin Amanda writes, Greetings, cousins. It seems like forever since I've sent you guys a telegram, but the time has been well spent thinking up tracks for the newest album by the Grand Canadian Trunkadelic. (laughs) Yes, indeed. This is the special release album for seasons three and four with all new bonus tracks. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy it. So here we go, cousins. The new album by the Grand Canadian Trunkadelic. Things were different before the war, is the title of this release. Track one, Shank Bates. Track two, there's something Johnny Foreigner about the Catholics. Track three, a bit squiffy. Track four, things were different before the war. Uh, yeah. Track five, the Duchess. <laughs> Track six, beware the phonograph. Track seven, babies. <laughs> Track eight, Heart in Trading, Rose's Theme. Track 9, Cat-Faced Edna. Track 10, Bullion Spoons. Track 11, Gimme That Gutenberg Bible. Track 12, Part-Time Gigolo. And then, of course, the five Maggie Smith's bonus tracks. Track 13, Hot Toast featuring Daisy. Ah. Track 14, Requiem for a Solicitor from Manchester. <laughs> and track 15, Drop Waste Blues. Uh, that's all for now. Expect a special off-season-based track listing soon. With Ooh. regards, your right honorable cousin, Lady Amanda, Viscountess of Greenbank. Oh, my. Yes. She's, she's doing well for herself. She's always been Lady Amanda, Viscountess of Greenbank. Was she Viscountess before? You know what? I don't think she was. I think she was just Countess before. Yeah. And Viscountess is better? I forget. Or worse? It's been a while. We ought to listen to our own podcast sometime. <laughs> we ought to. Uh, at any rate, thank you so much, Cousin Amanda. Yes. This tickled us no end. Indeed. And uh, we hope that it's brought joy to all of the rest of the cousins. <laughs> and we look forward to the off season. Oh, yeah. As well. Oh, man. Definitely. Really looking forward to that, you know, puberty beach track. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> I'm always looking forward to the puberty beach track. <laughs> I went to Catholic school. Oh, yeah. No, that's a good point. Something Johnny Foreigner about me. That can't be denied. (laughs) I have always thought that. Well, fair enough. Cousins, let us delve into the (laughs) Delphininess of this episode. That's right. Which has a fair amount of Johnny Foreigner going on in its own right. It most certainly does. Yeah. So we start off with extra, extra, read all about it, massacre in Belgium atrocities, cats and dogs living together. And look, 
this is clearly a case of the newspaper seller really playing things up. Right. And nobody's more susceptible to that kind of thing than our old buddy George Tower. <laughs> that is right. Who uh, eagerly takes a newspaper from the guy to read about these atrocities and stands there reading it for a good 20 seconds before the guy's like, hey, dummy, I'm selling newspapers. I'm not providing a public service here. Yeah. Uh, so George forks over the penny and takes the paper on his way. We then see Miss Martle eating oatmeal alone in her big dining room. Uh, the dust cloth on the table folded back just enough to hold her breakfast tray. Yeah. So she's... um. It's a pretty... She's doing a bad job of easing into being a woman of independent means. Right. She's sort of like... She's like, okay, this is step one of my plan to become Lady Havisham. <laughs> you mean Miss Havisham? Right, yes. She was not uh, of no She was birth. no lady. <laughs> <laughs> waka waka, why do you think he stood her up? <laughs> Pip! <laughs> Uh, yeah, but you know, I mean, look, if I came into a big house like that, that belonged to my brother, and then he was dead, and I was still going through the grieving process, uh, I don't know, seems like I'd have a hard time adjusting. Well, I mean, it's like, yeah, I mean, you've pretty much got two options, which is oatmeal alone at the giant dining room, or a kegger. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, look, both of those options, better than living with that horrific bathtub and all of its disgusting memories. Excellent point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, oh, God. And and Martle certainly made the uh, appropriate for Martle choice. Yes. <laughs> uh, we see George and Agnes sitting at a, uh, a tea shop. I think it's the tea shop I... where uh, Miss Bunting used to take tea with with original Doris. Right. With real Doris. Real Doris, yeah. Back before Miss Bunting Doris classic. went the way of Anna Karenina. <laughs> she sure did. Uh, but in any case, George is outraged by what he is reading, and he feels like something has to be done. Something has to be done to defend the honor of his country. Okay, let me let me just get this straight. So yes. Germany, yeah, invaded Belgium. Yes, Which, Germany, Belgium. Right, Belgium was neutral, and Britain had pledged to respect and defend its neutrality. So when Germany invaded Belgium, you know... Oh, they they were really uh, biting their thumbs at England, eh? Yes. Boy, this is going to be a real AP English heavy episode. (laughs) So everybody just buckle in and get your thesauri out. Right. Slash, Cliff's Notes, whatever. Spark Notes. Well, right. Welcome to the 21st century, Tom. Sorry. Yeah. Or Wikipedia. Yeah. Man, kids have so much better options to not read their assignments now. <laughs> they really do. Our lives were so hard. They were. When you had to, and, oh, by the way, Cliff Notes, thank you so much for making your Cliff Notes books bright attention getting yellow back in the day. Like, that, was that was probably, the- no, there was, I feel like there was some sort of backdoor deal. With our mm. nation's educators. They mm. were like, listen, we're going to do this. And the teachers were like, fuck you, you are. And they were like, what do you care if those kids learn anything? And the teachers were like, all right, but we do like sending them to detention. <laughs> it's the only thing that brings me even the slightest bit of joy. <laughs> uh, teachers are our future. Um, yeah, uh, so George is upset by this whole, th- you know, World War One situation, and he also sees some pretty ladies smiling at a not-that-pretty guy who is in uniform, and, uh, you know, George may not be the smartest guy, but he's, uh, he's, he's putting things together. Hey, George, you know when you can't hook up with, uh, pretty ladies? 
when, when you're dead. Ah, that is an excellent point. Or potentially if you lose a limb. Right. Or if you get shot right in the dick, a la Matthew Crawley. Is that what happened to him? <laughs> it's been so long. <laughs> I don't believe he was shot right in the dick. <laughs> Would have been more interesting. I, I mean, I think it was dick adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> know this whole women liking a man in uniform thing i don't get it what's the biological imperative uh you know the biological imperative to what to extent it's biological but at least cultural over the past thousand years of you know european history is it because like he has a job or whatever well no it's more about like you know your tribe is needs people to defend it and go kill its enemies is it like how male peacocks have beautiful plumage it's similar to that, yes. I don't quite... It's more about... I don't about, quite personally subscribe to it. Right. It's more about how, you know, silverback gorillas can kick the crap out of other gorillas if they try to come around and, oh. you know, take I shit. will say that guy who was at our wedding in his full uh, military dress, that was... That was, it was impressive. Right. Like, I wasn't attracted to it. Right. But I was like, that guy. But it's sharp. I mean, look, uniforms exist for, well, a variety of reasons. But, you know, the people that designed them, especially the dress uniforms, aren't idiots. Right. But I would also just like to say uniforms that I wore when I worked in, you know, food service, uh, they were less inspiring. Right. And the people who designed them had different... See, those were designed to crush your will in case you were thinking about starting a union or anything. Oh. Yeah. Well, yeah, those I'll are never think of the humble polo shirt in the same way again. <laughs> those are basically the same purpose as the school uniforms in that Simpsons episode. <laughs> you know, actually, I was going to make another Simpsons reference. I was going to say, <laughs> well, it's not quite a T-shirt. And it's not quite a button down. But man. So to answer your question, I have no idea. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Mr. LeClaire is sitting in a restaurant with an evil looking chap. Yeah, like this guy... This guy looks like he is playing Lucifer. <laughs> he like, might be for all we know. Right. We don't know what Monsieur Leclerc has been up to. Right. Uh, anyway, Monsieur Leclerc is like, no, 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 you'll get your money. And the evil guy is skeptical. Look, anytime somebody says, no, 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 you'll get your money. Like, and the like, money isn't there right that second. Yeah. Like, you're not actually putting the money in their hand. Like, you, you know. have to assume that this guy hears that sentence like, at least once a week. Like, you don't get that evil <laughs> right. by people not stiffing you. And that's basically his job, is to listen to people tell him that they'll get him his money. Yeah. Rose and May are sitting at Selfridge House. Uh, they've gotten a lot of replies for some charity events, so they're, they're pleased about that, Rose in particular. Fraser shows in Delphine, who is also part of this, and uh, what they're doing is they're selling Belgian chocolates... Uh, to support the plight of Belgian refugees. Listen, this is effing brilliant. The ingenuity of, you know, housewife-type women has never ceased to amaze me. Mm -hmm. Like, back when I was a nanny, the two moms that I nannied for, they did a whole fundraiser that was amazing. Mm -hmm. They were so great, too, because they both worked, and they were just constantly bitching about the women who didn't work. <laughs> yeah. They were like, I don't know why they're not doing more. They don't even have jobs. Right. And I was also like, though, but, like, if you don't have a job, like, wouldn't you just sink into a general malaise? Right. As as has Lady May. Oh, very much so. Who is, uh, you know, a bit, you know, a bit unexcited about this. Or, or not unexcited exactly, but 
she is the wind's out of her sails the wind is out of but her sails i would that also is. say that's in part because she has to deal with delphine well right but even before well, she's also been sassed by her husband in a variety of places oh yeah she's got a lot of reasons for it I've, i'm i don't hold it against her at all but yeah well she's already a bit you know mildly put out with rose and then delphine comes in and you know may does not take to her well she already said she's not interested in her. She doesn't like her flaunting her sexual freedoms. Right. And not to mention, I don't think she's pleased about no longer being Rose's most scandalous friend. Yeah. As someone who's been someone's most scandalous friend yeah. and then been displaced. Well, it's not a good feeling. And moreover, Delphine has found a way to transition from scandalous young adulthood to scandalous full adulthood mm-hmm. without being married to Lord Loxley. Yeah. yeah. So So there's a lot of there's a lot of dynamics yeah. going on here. Which is look, we'll get into this more throughout this episode. But I was actually having a Twitter conversation. I forget with whom. Mm-hmm. I apologize, nameless cousin. <laughs> I think maybe your name was Brooke. We have several Brooke cousins. Wow. Anyway, but I had just tweeted like there's no show on TV with better women characters in this show. Mm-hmm. Because every woman is allowed to look different and be different mm-hmm. and have different motivations. Right. And I feel like so many shows, it totally just always breaks down into the virgin whore dichotomy. Mm-hmm. And there's only ever, you know, two mainish women and then maybe like somebody's daughter or something. Right. And Whereas here we are with three women in this scene, all of whom are talking to each other about something that, you know, isn't a man. Yeah. And even... Well, and when a man comes in, all they do is use him to break a tie. Right, exactly. So because... Uh, they use him to maintain the equilibrium. Yes, because Rose has presented Delphine, who has just arrived, with the two options for how they're going to set up the display. Uh, and Delphine likes the one that she thinks is more modern, not the one that Lady May likes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Lady May is again put out. So Delphine says, Rose, what do you think? And Rose is like, uh... And then Harry comes in and she's like, Harry! <laughs> yeah. You've just saved me from pissing someone off. <laughs> right. Uh, so they show him to Harry and he immediately picks the one that Delphine picked. With all the jolly bunting. <laughs> yes. To be fair, she kind of, you know, she's back oh, the deck a little look. bit. Delphine is a saleswoman. Right. And Lady May is just a cranky person who <laughs> right. usually is good at making people do what she wants. Mm-hmm. And she's not a salesperson and, as discussed, not at the top of her game for outside reasons. But yes, Harry prefers the more modern-looking one every time. So Rose is excited. She's like, oh, we're going we're gonna to kill it with this charity shit. You know, I forget what she says. Uh, but, that sounds like her. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And and Harry's like, oh, it's you think it's going to be that easy, eh? And she's like, oh, you think us women can't do that? And he's like, no, I just think that it's hard to fill up a store with people. Like I think, and she's like, oh, well, I'll take that as a challenge mm-hmm. that us women can do that. And Harry's like, dude, I wasn't trying to make this about women, but no, but I mean, look, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Rose doesn't have much going on. She doesn't have much um, going on. You know, and, I and- mean, he has a certain point, but also like these three women, like. I mean, I a think- charity event is all about society. Yeah. I mean, and these women have that. And look, I mean, to be all fair, all of these people, you know, a charity event like this, where they're inviting all these rich people, is just a pissing contest, right? 
And I, I mean, I, Harry was being condescending. I just oh, don't yeah. think it was about their gender per se. Just that Look, he's, he's the only he's one the that knows how. He's the consummate showman, right, and right. he exactly. knows how it should be. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, he's not throwing this. Right. You know? This yeah. is entirely Rose's idea. Mm-hmm. In the front hall, Delphine is giving Rose more suggestions. Lady May has been escorted out by uh, Harry. Delphine says that Rose seems in better spirits, and she says that things are better with Harry, causing Delphine to give her quite the shocked look. Mm -hmm. Because I'm sure that the entire... I wish we had, like, you know, a mini-sode of that <laughs> boat trip over. I'm just, I'm not going to, I'm, we're not, I'm not going to have sex with him. I'm just not. That's not why I'm going back. Don't let me. Even don't, if I say I want you, know you don't let don't me. Don't let me do it. Yeah. Anyway, so Delphine is raising her eyebrows, and Rose is like, oh, not that way. And I don't believe her for a second. Yeah. She let that dude get at that pussy. I, you know, I don't know whether she has or not. Actually, she let him I don't get, think she, she has. She let him get close. She's, she hasn't done it yet, but she's, she wants to. She let him get to, she's, like, second she's phase. Already to decide, she's already decided that she's going to let him. She just hasn't decided when yet. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I really enjoy her playing in this episode of of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, and again, she's allowed to have complicated sexual motives. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. I mean, as much as we may be, you know, team New Gordon. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, she has some valid complaints yeah. and she is working through them in her own time. Mhm. Uh at Joe's. I don't know if they expect people to pronounce it Joe's. Joe. <laughs> right. That's how Joe. That's how we're just gonna go with a hybrid. <laughs> okay. It's good for the environment. Uh, so Gabriella signs for a delivery of some, I don't know, plants or something, and Uncle Joe tells Fat Thomas that he is Joe is dying as he is wont to do, and that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Wait, well, this is not the first time he said that in our brief time together. Yes. Uh, and he wants to make sure that Fat Thomas will run the restaurant after him. He needs him to know that he'll be there for the restaurant. And Fat Thomas is like, well, what about Gabriella? And he's like, Gabriella, she's just a woman running a restaurant. There's a man's work. Uh, Life is a beautiful. Always. Yeah. Just always. Yeah. In this time period. Yeah. Also, Gabriella hears that last part. Uh, I'd also like to point out, I was, I think, drunkenly saying this to some friends the other day. <laughs> well, I was talking about how last year was like the year of Titanic. Mm-hmm. And all we did was Titanic. Yeah. And this year has all been World War One. Yeah. It's just, but I mean, granted, uh, that provides a lot more complexity. Yeah. You yeah. know, it wasn't just a single boat oh, right. trip. It wasn't just like three days. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, Belfast. Oh, right. Ugh. Belfast. Oh, come on. Parts of it were so good. Parts of it were, yeah. If you're not clear, we're talking about Titanic Blood and Steel, which you never should watch. Right. But Derek Jacoby was in it. Ah, parts of it were so good. Yeah. It didn't have to be as bad as it was, but it was that bad. It was really bad. And you know what? It had Italian characters that, while they adhered to some stereotypes, definitely had more depth and diversity of character. Right. So there was that. That is true. 
on the elevator at Selfridges, uh, Mr. Crab asks Mr. Grove if he's going to enlist. Right. Mr. Grove says he's too old. He says that his face makes him look younger than he is. Right. And I'm like, I always thought you were like 140. Right. Well, he's just like being like, Mr. Crab, what what are you talking about? Yeah. Anyway. uh, Have you seen my hair? Evidently, Mrs. Crab wants Mr. Crab to enlist, and he wants to know if Mrs. Grove has said anything. Right. Sim- I'm like, what and is what? going on at home, Mr. Crab? Right. Anyway, maybe yeah, he is going to start thinking about what paths he could have taken. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, a uh, a line of young men are waiting outside of Mr. Grove's office, presumably to hand in their resignations mm-hmm. and let him know that they are going to be fighting for king and country. Yeah. And yep. mostly stupidity. Yes. Down in the loading bay, George Taller is jingoing it up along the same lines and talking about, you know, things must be done and, you know, attention must be paid and so <laughs> forth. Um <laughs> And he's, I mean, he's just very mad about the Germans and that they're, you know, raping babies or whatever they're what? supposed to, They didn't, look, they said, both sides, I mean, this wasn't just the, the English side of things, but they were literally, you know, reports that, you know, they were roasting babies on spits and like, <laughs> you know. No, but, and, and, you know, and raping nuns and crucifying priests, Aww, just everything. You can't rape a nun. Just every, every atrocity you can think of was being a, they were, people were told that the Germans were doing it, and George <sighs> believes it. Uh, and in his outrage at this, you know, baby roasting, he <laughs> slams a crate down, and Fat Thomas says that if he breaks any of his, Fat Thomas's champagne, that, you know, he'll, he'll show him some atrocities. He'll, he'll roast his baby. <laughs> right. Um, Anyway, George says that he is going to sign up as soon as he can, and Fat Thomas asks if Agnes knows that he's planning to sign up, and he's like, well, she will sometime. New Gordon is also there, and he wishes he was old enough to enlist, despite the fact that he's 34. You'd think (laughs) that would be totally fine. Yeah, he's like a wife and three kids. (laughs) Right. Uh, He's like a proto-grove. Yeah. No, he says you have to be 16, which means... Like, I could buy him as, like, 17 at a stretch. Look, man. But he's apparently 15. Look, they cast the spawn of the devil as, like, a (laughs) nine-year-old girl last season. This, in my opinion, is a step up. Yeah, I mean, God knows way better than old Gordon, so I shouldn't complain. Um, Yeah, Fat Thomas is not in any particular rush to enlist in the army. I'm not entirely sure why Gordon's so hot to trot. I... I don't quite buy it. Well, I Unless don't know. Unless he's just looking for a way to distinguish himself. Like. I mean, I th- well, I mean, I think, I mean, I think a that that's what it is. That that's you know, again, throughout much of history, that was how you got famous and everything like that. I mean, look at young Indiana Jones. He lied about his age to sign up for World War One. I. I am literally taking your word for that. Oh yeah, he definitely did. <laughs> <laughs> And he got in this prison camp, and he was trying to act like he was French, but then the French guys thought he was a spy, but then he knew about baseball, so they figured out he was American. It was this whole thing. You are adorable. (laughs) Somebody out there knows what I'm talking about. (laughs) And they're listening to this podcast. (laughs) Up in Harry's office, uh, Mr. Grove is very concerned about keeping everybody's positions open. Apparently, Mr. Selfridge... His solution to all these young men running off to their certain deaths Mm -hmm. is to 
promised them their jobs back. Right. He, you know, he's taking a very, uh, optimistic view and it'll all be over by Christmas. Like, right. I just, I can't well, believe. I mean, he says that that's what the politicians are telling him. Right. They so are. this is, this is a hundred years ago. Right. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I could be wrong, but I mean, say what you will about the military engagements of the late 20th and early 21st century. Mm -hmm. They did finally do away with that old hoary chestnut. I mean, it's broadly true. One could make arguments about, you know, what was promised with Iraq and things like that. Well, but nobody said it'll be over by Christmas. You know? Yeah. But I mean, moreover, it's, it's mainly just that there's just a, the idea of war has just changed in the last hundred years, you know, largely because of World War One, yeah, uh, and you know, World War Two in different ways, you know. So I mean, this rush to enlist that we see with George Taller, like that's not something no. that you see anymore. Well, I mean, you did see it a bit after September 11th, right? But a bit, yeah. And you know, I mean, certainly none of my theater friends were <laughs> dashing off to join up. Can I bring my own dance belt? <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't. <laughs> Don't ask. Don't bring your dance belt. You can only use the dance belts that Blackwater provides. <laughs> <laughs> they cost $400 each and they're shit. <laughs> At any rate, Mr. Selfridge, ever the optimist, says that they'll just hope for the best and prepare for the worst. And he tells Mr. Crab and Mr. Grove to try to explore every option yeah. uh, to sort out how... They're going to keep the store staffed. Mm-hmm. They've talked about, you know, uh, hiring elderly men, but they're very concerned, particularly about uh, the loading dock. Yeah. And, and older and, men being able to lift such heavy things. Yeah. And even, I, I, th- I believe my understanding was even if you're not working the loading dock per se, I mean, you still got to be moving. Oh, yeah. I mean, around. even. Like, that's. Again, when I was working retail, we had to lift heavy stuff all the time. Yeah. And I yeah. mean, I was crap at lifting, but I could yeah. do it. Yeah. And Grove is definitely the pessimistic one, both about the war and, I mean, Andy's saying, you know, even if it is over by Christmas, three months might as well be three years when it's all of our staff. Mm-hmm. Like, you know. So Agnes is setting up the uh, Belgian display in the Palm Court, and Fat Thomas gives her actually a bit of a lighthearted hard time about it this time, sort of as uh, kind of a joke because he was such a dick in the previous episode. He then sees George going by on, you know, some sort of loading bay business and asks if Agnes knows that George is going to enlist. Which I think is out of line. Yeah. It's not his to tell her. I mean, I guess it is. I mean, I guess it isn't. George would have told her at some point. Well, yeah. And anyway, I just don't think that Fat Thomas needs to be sticking his fat nose into this particular can of worms. That's fair. Agnes disagrees, and she wants Fat Thomas to try and talk George out of it because she knows that George will not listen to her on this subject. Fat Thomas is like, I, this is, I'm not, now he wants to take his fat nose out of it. He's like, I'm not getting part of this. And Well, I don't, then why did he even bring it up? He felt Agnes should know because he felt that Agnes was going to be very upset uh, when she was told. Anyway. He's he's very on the fence about whether he is going to enlist or not. A bunch of young men uh, get off the elevator, passing Harry and Crab, presumably talking uh, talking up the war. Right, right. Uh, and Crab says that Selfridges will have their very own regiment. And boy, howdy, if that doesn't give old Harry an idea, it does. 
<laughs> just about everything gives them an idea. Yeah. That's how they, when they're breaking out an episode, they start off with, Harry gets an idea. And they write it about a third of the way down. It's and like, they fill it out from there. It's Mad Libs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in George's office down in the loading bay, Agnes is in the middle of her attempt to talk him out of enlisting, but he is having none of it. He's not going to listen. He's, you know, this is his thing. He has to do it. Also, Laurel and Hardy do their bit by uh, standing behind Agnes and kind of like mockingly miming their conversation. So George's manhood is called into question by that as well. And he's like, you know, I'm enlisting. That's it. And he, he heads out. Monsieur LeClaire <laughs> comes into Harry's office and Harry wants him to be his deputy. Fun fact, deputy, not a thing in retail. <laughs> not a position that exists. Right. Uh, Harry just wants to pay someone to be his friend. Right. Well, he says he needs his lucky charm. Yeah. Which, you know, may well be true. Yeah, but he's yeah. still paying you to be his friend. Right. So Monsieur LeClaire is very reluctant and, you know, we've seen this previous scene that confirmed our suspicions that he's in right. some sort of bad financial scenario. Yeah. And Harry basically then just makes it rain <laughs> uh, until he agrees to stay for six months. And then he also insists that Henri stays at his house. Yeah. And I am like, this is the worst reality show idea ever. He's like, Listen, my three selfridges. <laughs> I promise no one will poke you with a stick until Beatrice gets here. <laughs> What was the deal with money? Why is it like that? I don't know. I always mean to look these things up. <laughs> right? It's like tissue paper. Well, it's because I sort of get the impression that it's like, that it's just it's like, like it's checks. Bank, bank notes. Yeah. yeah, checks. But then I realized that I haven't the slightest idea what I'm talking about. Right? It's like, so. why didn't we pay more attention to the pertinent parts of Mary Poppins? <laughs> Actually, I didn't talk about banknotes. Right. They Only tuppence. Tuppence, yeah. Right? Which is like Bags. really low overhead for such a huge <laughs> bank. It was, uh, it was comical. Anyway, cousins, do you know what the F was up with money <laughs> in 1914? Do you have any of that money? <laughs> if so, we want to hear your story. Yes. In the fashion department, Agnes is setting up a little display for receiving donations for the Belgians. Keebler comes up, and he is not at all pleased. He says he doesn't want a begging bowl in his fashion department. And Agnes is like, well, Mrs. Selfridge thought that this was... And he was like, well, absolutely not. Monsieur Leclerc happens along by, and he is like, oh, yeah, you're keeping this display here. And Keith looks like, oh, yeah, says who? And he's like, well, I am uh, now uh, Mr. Mister Selfridge's deputy. And Keebler's like... That's not even a thing. That's right. not even a thing in retail. Right. And Keebler's like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look. And he goes back into his tree. Being in retail, you got to take directive from corporate. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I didn't want to have fancy, you know, food tasting things that I know that I knew no one would participate in. Yeah. But we did. And we ate hella lemon curd. <laughs> right. Okay. Because well, nobody else wanted it. And also, Keebler, you didn't hear the key phrase, which was Mrs. Selfridge. Mm -hmm. Like the only person essentially really with a higher authority than Mr. Selfridge. Yeah. Because we all know that Mr. Selfridge is beholden to Mrs. Selfridge for that sweet, sweet poontang. That's right. Which and maybe which Keebler is, doesn't understand about. Well, it's possible but i mean moreover like you can talk harry out of something that's his own idea possibly 
he could listen to advice or whatever, but if it's his wife, he's you're not going to – no. That's not going to work. No. Come on, dude. I mean, he let that portrait stay in his office forever. Yeah. <sighs> also, the new portrait we did see in that scene with Henri and yeah. Harry, and it is – it's hor. It's not as it's not horrible, as but horrible, it's still. But it's, it's not good. It's like what are you, Marie Antoinette? Like what is this painting? It's uh, it's I don't know. It's very pink. Somebody invent the camera for God's sake, <laughs> or you know, make it more you know cheap. Yeah, use it more. So after their showdown with Keebler, Agnes and Monsieur Leclerc get in the elevator. She says that she's glad he's staying, but she has a very confused look on her face, as yeah. did we, because we were like, we're not sure that this is what she wanted. Yeah. But Monsieur Leclerc basically says it is uh, whatever Harry wants it to be. And I'm like, that's a recipe for disaster. Yeah. You better ask him for, like, an actual job description. Yeah. And, like, is somebody See, reporting to is, you? This is exactly what I was afraid of on Agnes's behalf of last week. And it worked out last week, but now it's like, oh... So all of a sudden you're not the head of display anymore. I think or? she is. I don't know. Well, I don't think we get enough of a sense in this episode right. yeah. to understand how this is all going to play out. But I'll at least say that that's what Agnes is thinking about. I think mm-hmm. so. Look, I feel that spiritually, you are much more in tune with Agnes than me. Well, that's true. You know, you identify very strongly with Agnes. I identify very strongly with Harry. Yeah. Are, yeah. you know, two protagonists. Right, right. So I'll, I'll go with you on that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we see Mr. LeClaire call, uh, Mr. Webb, presumably that is evil dude, uh, and says that he has- Webb. <laughs> yeah. Bit on the nose. <laughs> yeah. So when he says he has his money and they will, he will meet him at four o'clock. That is the preferred hour for illegal financial transactions. Right. Well, the cops don't work then. It's a shift change. May is at home at Loxley House, and she asks Pimble for Pimble's opinion of her outfit, and Pimble can't decide. Pull in a real Pimble here, Pimble. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Way May to pimble it up. then asks Pimble to eavesdrop on Lord Loxley's meetings with boot manufacturers, which I hope Pimble has enough self-respect to, like, get a raise out of this. <laughs> it's not in her duties. Right. But I don't know. I mean, I feel like, you know, the duties of ladies' maid were generally defined as whatever the lady asks you to do. That's fair. I got to get me one of those. <laughs> I got a lot of laundry I don't want to do. <laughs> me neither. In the Monsieur Leclerc Memorial Lair, <laughs> it's not really a memorial. He's back now. Look, uh, <laughs> we said what we said. Yeah, we're, we're locked in now. It's not our fault he came back. <laughs> That's right. I mean, he was there, and Agnes is showing him the uh, boxes that she has designed to hold the chocolates that they're selling. And she's like, oh, I wanted to keep it simple, and they just look like white carpet boxes. And he's like, oh, it's very simple. Uh, but then she closes the lid, and on the lid it just says SOS in gold letters. Um, and it really, I was like, damn, that is well played. She's got good instincts when she gets out of her own way. Yeah, yeah. She's like, yeah, I wanted you know, to be about the message and not anything else. And And then she's like... So I was, wasn't was sure if I should have this ribbon on it. And Monsieur Leclerc is like, I don't want to give my opinion on this. This is your thing. You, you make the decision as to what you want it to be. And she's like, okay, no ribbon. And he's like, great. And see, look, here's the thing. Yeah. If a different – look, if a Keebler <laughs> had been put in position as deputy, right. he would override all of her decisions yeah. and, you know, you know, just completely – step into her role but he's not like he's a beta right 
We right. we have discussed this at length in both his relationship. Well, kind of less so in his relationship with Agnes originally. Right. But in his relationship with Valerie and his relationship with Mr. Selfridge, he's definitely a beta. Right. He Well, I mean, when he He first- likes to have his autonomy. Yeah. But he also doesn't want to be the person on the hook for the decision. Right. Well, he didn't think of Agnes as a peer originally. I mean, there is still this class thing going on in, you know, the world. And I mean, not like not like in a major way, but he just, you know, he was t- dismissive of, of her as overstating it when they first met. But he wasn't abated to her because she was a rank below him. Yeah, but that's, you know, that's not a class thing. That's a hierarchy thing, which I know that you're interpreting that as a class thing. But if you're in, you know, any kind of work situation where that's the case, that's just how it is. All right. In Mr. Grove's office, Mr. Crabbe says that Mr. Jones's references are impeccable. This is an elderly man who's come in to interview for a position. Yes. Uh, Mr. Grove is unimpressed and asks if Mr. Jones can lift the packing case that is conveniently present yeah. in this interviewing room. Uh, Mr. Jones shuffles over to try. It doesn't go well from the Foley work. We can tell he appears to have fallen down. It's, uh, I did not like this the way it was done i mean it was just such a like slapsticky type thing except we didn't see anything but just such a waka 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 thing to me you know the way it, it held on grove and crab's face for the whole thing with them going ooh ah like there was they had like five different reaction fair. shots okay fair yeah like i didn't i didn't like it i mean like you know, here's the. You clearly reacted to it a lot more strongly than I did. But well, this, you know, poor old guy is trying to get a job, and you that's know, true. He's being made a figure of fun by the direction of the show. So fucking eyeliner, <laughs> some self-hating eyeliner right there. That's true. Uh, and in the hall upstairs, outside Gross office, Harry asks Fat Thomas if the Palm Court is ready for the Belgian thing. I uh, he, he says it is, and. He tells him that he wants, you know, that this is Rose's big day, uh, and he's not sure that she's, like, totally up for it, so he wants Fat Thomas to give whatever help he can, but, like, very discreetly, and not to be, like, make it look like he's helping her. And Fat Thomas is like, I'm right there with you, buddy. Yeah, listen, you're way less demanding than my old pimp of a boss. (laughs) Right. Like... Do I have to fuck anyone? Right. Because this is a cakewalk. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, so that's that's all fine. And then Crab comes out of Grove's office and asks Miss Plunkett for spelling salts. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Waka waka. Exactly. All right, I get it. Yeah. The Belgian chocolatier is giving a demonstration of how he makes chocolates. Answer, all sexy like. Oh my god! Look, this, this guy. This is kind of a sexy show compared to Downton Abbey, right? Like people are a lot more in touch with their various humors. <laughs> yeah. Um, this guy, I was like, what episode of Sex in the City did you wander <laughs> out of, sir? Yeah, he's uh, definitely a Samantha. Rose says that she thinks he's very handsome, and then <laughs> Monsieur Leclerc just. <laughs> Out of no, like he was not the person to whom this was directed. He <laughs> right. leans forward and goes, "You mean for a Belgian?" 
Sweet burn, Henri. I did not realize that uh, the French and the Belgians had that whole uh, rivalry going on. Well, apparently. Well, you know, you know, Poirot was always upset and, you know, uh, from the other side of things when people would call him French. So, uh, Well, fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the chocolatier gives Rose a chocolate rose and thanks her for being, you know, the founder of the feast, etc., etc. She pretends to be all flattered and stuff. I mean, she is all flattered, but she's... You know, she's obsequious to the point of being annoying. I me, I thought, you know, I thought she was uh, you know, a little bit heated by the sexy chocolate display. Well, that's you know, honestly, as we forge forward in this episode, very few women uh will not be heated yeah. by the, the Yeah, by the Belgian chocolate. Like yeah, it's it's wow. Like I'm like what what kind of shit chocolate have you all been eating for all these many years? Like, where where did this guy come from? I mean, I know Belgium. Right. Uh, yeah, so Igor, Igor tells Fat Thomas that they should definitely learn how to make these chocolates, because uh, then they'll be knee-deep in pussy, apparently. Uh, why don't you just make enough money to buy the chocolates because that seems easy or you could learn to be sexy like <laughs> this guy and honestly i don't like their chances right i've seen them both i've seen them both in action to be fair actually i mean i think that's a good point insofar as they have a restaurant not the one that they work at but the, the one that they sort of own apparently although what God knows the how hell they is going time. on with that yeah like yeah i'm very confused yeah about that uh, anyway, Rose has one of the chocolates and says that it is tr- delicious, truly delicious, and everybody applauds. Man, I just want people to applaud when I talk. <laughs> I should have married well, a self-made mogul. They're more applauding for the chocolate. Well, that's true. Uh, so then people are mingling. Uh, lady May gives some lady some chocolates while discussing the problems of various servants enlisting. Her chauffeur apparently has just up and enlisted. Right. Lady May's quite put out by this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Delphine comes up and hustles the lady along. Yeah, she's like, anything you need to know is on this flyer. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Get out of here. Delphine then gives Lady May some advice and touches her, neither of which Lady May appreciates. Yeah, no, she recoils. Yeah, well, she says, you know, you need to keep the customers moving along. Just, you know, a little chit-chat is fine. Uh, and Lady May says that she won't be brusque. She says brusque. Oh, brusque. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but Delphine says, you know, she needs to be a better salesperson for Rose's sake. Right. So that's the one soft spot that the two of them have. Because Rose is such, you know, a gentle fool <laughs> yeah. that they need to help her. <laughs> uh, fake Doris and Jesse are having some of the chocolates. Uh, Martel comes up and says that they're for customers only, but Jesse says that they donated. There's a little tin can by all the displays. And so fake Doris offers Martel one of the chocolates. And Martel's like, well, I, I already treated myself to plain oatmeal today. I don't know. If, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she she gives in. Uh, and it's like, oh, okay. And then Jesse shoves the coin at her, or the, the can Which at I her. thought was so cute. It was, yes. I really, I'm liking Jesse and fake Doris. I am too. They're a lot more fun than Kitty and real Doris ever were. I agree, yeah. It's not as forced. Right. So Martel puts a coin in the can and it has a chocolate and almost passes out. And fake Doris is like, want another? And she's like, yeah, here's another coin. 
Keep them coming. You know, honestly, Miss Martle probably has not had sex since uh, old Mr. Grove threw her over for real Doris. Yeah, most likely. Also, I mean, it is a thing that happens. When I worked in retail, I worked with this lady named Gail, and we one time got a cheesecake. It was a Godiva chocolate cheesecake from the Cheesecake Factory. Mm -hmm. And we're, you know, all sitting there, and it's, you know, inventory time. The regional manager was there. It was a big deal. (laughs) Yeah. And we're all sitting around and like Gail, <laughs> Gail was like 65 <laughs> and smoked more than anyone I've ever known. <laughs> and so she was eating this cheesecake and just goes, Oh, that's better than sex. <laughs> and I'm like, what is the last time you were sex, Gail? <laughs> but anyway, she was adamant and I was like, yeah. all right. Uh, but there are, look, there yeah, are people who, absolutely, who, yeah. who claim that chocolate is better than sex. Yeah. And, and that's- um, well, and I mean, if it's true for them, then it's true. I That's true. You know, it's their bodies. I know. Their body, their choice, Kelly. <laughs> Harry then comes up to Delphine in the midst of all this charity, and he says, you know, Rose looks inspired. I never thought I'd see her that way again, ever since I took my magical dick away. <laughs> uh, anyway, but, you know, they're they're both very pleased. And, you know, again, this is a show not only that has great women characters, but has the main male character relating to lots of women in a non-sexual way yeah and i mean we're talking about a main character who is an established horn dog right but he also knows how to respect boundaries yeah i mean yeah. he's he's actually pretty good at boundaries yeah in terms yeah. of setting them with his lovers right and in terms of you know yeah. understanding the boundaries of the people that he deals yeah. with I mean, for business or know, as friends. We saw Miss Spender. She, you know... Hey, Miss Spender! <laughs> right. She seemed perfectly, you know, happy with what she got Look, out of it. she wasn't Ellen Love crazy. Right. When he, it ended, she he, was like, all right, that's... She was like, I'm keeping those fucking rubies. He was like, yes, you are. Yeah. We see Mustache. He has just told Kitty that he has now gotten his own column. So he's, so he's back to almost square one. Right. Uh, but, you know, better than freelancing. Yeah. Uh, so she congratulates him and uh, thinks that he deserves a reward, which is, of course, chocolate. Look, Kitty's an operator, man. <laughs> I don't know. I'm no, so, I mean, she's, she seems I'm super so happy curious. For him. No, yeah, yeah. But I'm just curious where this goes because, I mean, she does have... Her career, you know, her star is rising and his is not. Yeah. And where does that leave them? Because, I mean, she's clearly the type of girl who's like, listen, I'm not going to be with you unless your intentions are honorable and you're planning, you know, to court me and marry me as appropriate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, I don't see her as wanting to give up her career. Right. So, so we'll see. But I mean, you know, that said, you know, maybe they'll maybe they'll make it work. I doubt. I, Mustache love, doesn't seem like the type who wants kids pr- pr- particularly. Yeah, and I don't think Kitty does either. Right. Anyway, I would be very interested to see if they come to some sort of, you know, very non-traditional type yeah, yeah. arrangement. Yeah. Uh, the horny chocolatier comes up to <laughs> Martle. We have, we have uh, dubbed him this way pretty much because of this scene. Yeah. He comes up to Miss Martle and offers her some chocolate. And then the horny chocolatier says that a you know, woman... She's like, oh, I already had some. She's all, you know, holding him off. But he's fixed her with his horny chocolate-having gaze. Yeah. And he says that a woman's body temperature is higher than a man's. And somehow that makes them enjoy chocolate more? Right. Uh, so then he sticks a chocolate in her mouth and she has an orgasm. <laughs> yeah. 
Like that's basically it. I'm fine with this. Yeah. Look, Miss Martle is great, hey. and I want her to be happy. And if chocolate makes her happy, be happy, Martle. Yeah. Yeah. Fill your whole mansion with chocolate. Yeah. She can do it. Uh, in a relatively quiet area of the party, a mustache tells Lady May that she looks like somebody who could use some champagne and gives her a glass. Incidentally, somebody could say that to me at any hour of the day and be correct. <laughs> Honestly, I really, ah, I like Lady May so much and this season has made me feel like I am more like her than I was last season. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, she gratefully Not accepts. because Tom's punching me or anything. Oh, no. Just because she hates everything. <laughs> right. And need champagne. (laughs) (laughs) Mustache has heard that Loxley is on the military procurement committee. Uh, He says a little bird has told him, and she's like, oh, little birds need to keep their beaks shut. Uh, But he, you know, keeps her talking, and eventually she more or less accidentally confirms it. And we learn that he's a very skilled reporter. Yeah. Like, this is this is solid reporting work he's doing right here. Because we've really only ever seen him interacting as a reporter with Harry. Right. And that's more of a... Well, Harry's always trying to sell a story. Right. So it wasn't like he had to do this particular kind of work. Right. And it's just, it's fun to see him draw that out of her. It is. And it's also, it really struck me that... Mustache is the only person on this show who could talk with Kitty and talk with Lady May as peers, both of them. Mm-hmm. Like nobody else that can talk to Lady May as a peer could talk to Kitty without being like, you know, her boss or whatever. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. It's that male privilege I've heard so much about. Well, it's, you know, the privilege of the mustache. <laughs> The horny chocolatier continues to talk to Miss Martle. He says that he has a cousin in London that he was able to come and stay with, mm-hmm. but his countrymen have lost everything yeah. in the wake of these attacks by the Germans. And Miss Martle feels that it's wrong to be eating chocolate, mm-hmm. which she feels is so frivolous in the face of this loss. Uh, he disagrees and says, you know, that people must do what they can. And right now, what the people of London can do is give money and eat chocolate. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's killed the mood. Yeah. You know, he's really uh, blasted his chances of nailing that. Right. So, you know, like, memo to refugees. <laughs> Wait until after you've sealed the deal. Right. To start talking about your, you know, disenfranchised well, countrymen. I mean, if you're gonna, if you're gonna play the disenfranchised countrymen sympathy card from the beginning, that's one thing. But if you're gonna play the sensual chocolatier card, then you've gotta stick with that until... You know, he's recently displaced Tom. He's certainly <laughs> gotta be off his game. Apparently. Uh, in some storeroom somewhere, Igor is looking for champagne, and Fat Thomas says, oh, it's in the loading bay, because they drank up all the champagne we brought up here. Rich bastards. Mm-hmm. Harry, at the fundraiser, is telling Rose that he was wrong. They're so great. They've done so well. She credits Delphine, uh, who then suggests that they auction off the chocolate rose bouquet, which is serving as the centerpiece mm-hmm. in the palm court. Yeah. So she then does so and maneuvers Harry into paying 25 pounds for it, which is an obscenely low amount <laughs> considering how much chocolate is in this thing. Well, but I mean, I know, you know, it was yeah. a different time and right, things right. cost significantly less. Yeah, but, but it's, this is a big old hunk mm, of chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, they'll uh, they'll be gnawing their way through that till Easter. Yeah, but the auction is fun because Harry's like, no, 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 and she's like, oh, what's that? Twenty pounds? Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. sold for twenty five pounds. Delphine and, uh, and Polly Walker's so great. Yeah. Oh yeah. man, she's phenomenal. Yeah. Just, I'm so glad she's on this show mm-hmm. because it's a show that's equal to her and that is giving her a lot of fun stuff to do. Yeah. Like. Is she having sex with Mark Antony? No. But this is the next best thing. <laughs> That's right. You can only do that once. Yeah. It's true. Yeah. You know, and then the empire collapses. <laughs> uh, down in the loading bay. It's a fight. Right? Uh, like, why? It's very unclear. Like Wh- There was either- not even any tango this time. <laughs> right. Like, Laurel and or Hardy is fighting Igor for poorly explained reasons. Fat Thomas comes down and, like, breaks it up and, and drags Igor away. Like, isn't it because he's Italian or something? Uh, well, yeah. Well, so we cut to the back of that storeroom where Agnes is tending to Igor's wounds. And he says that they, like, called him a coward because uh, he wouldn't enlist. And he says, why should I sign up to defend a country that hates me? Yeah. Which, you know, it's yeah. a reasonable point. But Fat Thomas is troubled in his soul and thinks that maybe they're right to call him a coward. Uh, maybe they should be enlisting. <sighs> Fart noise. Yeah. I'm already bored with this. Although, okay, here's what I will say. Yeah. When World War One was declared on Downton Abbey, we cut basically from the announcement of the war mm-hmm. straight to the trenches. Yeah. We didn't get any of the interstitial hemming and hawing and, you know, who enlists and who doesn't. Yeah. And who took a while and who didn't. And so I do appreciate that we're getting this perspective. I mean, the country yeah. hasn't, you know, you know, fully committed to the war effort at this point. Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's, it's happening, you know, People, There's not an official declaration, right? Or it has there there, been, there, okay. there there yeah. Okay. Well there was I don't I don't remember whether they said it, but the day that Churchill was there Oh wait, wait, wait. that's right. Because Mr. Selfridge said that he couldn't come because Germany had attacked in Belgium and then they were right, in Delphine right, right. and Delphine yeah. was yeah, like, Oh, we're right. at war. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So there is an official declaration, but people are still processing this information. Exactly. Yeah. And we didn't get to see well, shocking <laughs> right. that Baron Julian would deny us the process. Right. But so it is interesting and particularly these people. I mean, you know, which isn't well, to say yeah, and, and to me too, because it's it's such a typical thing too. Like, and I, I think with it, it shows the different approaches to history that the two shows are taking. Mm-hmm. Because with Downton Abbey, it's like, and then World War One started, and then cut to well, we all know how World War One went. It was terrible, and here's the trenches, blah blah blah. But this show is like World War One started with everybody being excited, and then developed into this catastrophe. Yes, and I mean. It shows life going on in a very different way. Yeah. I mean, these are people who are having to make these choices in the face of, I'm going to lose my job. I'm not going to be able to support my family, but I believe in this cause. And, right. you know, it's just a very different group of people. Right. You know, because for well, somebody... there's just a lot more life going on in London than there is in Yorkshire. Right. And I mean, you know, for somebody, you know... Well, then on a landed estate. Yeah. Plenty of life going on in Yorkshire. Uh... For somebody like Matthew Crawley, like, like, what else does he have to do? Right. I, I guess he was a lawyer. But, you know, and then, you know, Thomas's choice to join the army was, was positioned as this very, like, mercenary thing. And yeah, yeah. he was trying to kind of, like, lord it over people. And then, you know, William was wasn't, just the sap. Yeah. And, you know, they certainly dealt with some interesting things. Yeah. But I do like seeing how the working class 
responds. Right. Because even Mr. Selfridge, I mean, they're all working class. Yeah. yeah. And so it's really a different perspective than we've seen on World War One. because even in Parade's End, yeah, we're yeah. dealing with Christopher Tegens, who, you know, while not a noble right is from a family that is hugely yeah wealthy and yeah. has this estate and all of this kind of thing and you know yeah. it was mainly the the was commissioned he not, officers did he not have a title i don't think he did mark would have had it when their dad oh, right, died right that's what he that's was the younger was. son that's yeah okay yeah back at loxley house lord loxley examines a boot provided by mr pratt Another Dickensian name there. Waka waka. Yeah. Uh, he describes the features of the boot, and Lord Loxley essentially tries to prance around the idea of his taking a bribe. Uh, Pratt doesn't understand what the hell's going on. Right. And so Lord Loxley asks, Pratt, are you an honest man? He says yes, and he's like, oh, okay, I think we're done here. Yeah. Take your honest boot and get the hell out of my house. Yes. Agnes tells Fat Thomas that he doesn't have to go to war, uh, but he says that he does, and she is, you know, not at all happy about this. Uh, but he says that every soldier needs something to come home for, and she's like, "What about Gabriella? She isn't." But that's what I'm like. Like, look, um, Agnes doesn't seem like she cares. Although no. I'm also like, why? why? It's weird. They, I don't think she cares. Their relationship yeah. is in a weird place. It and is. They that, don't know what's going on, and we don't know what's well, going on. Yeah, I mean, it's more over like, well, maybe if every soldier needs something to come home to, maybe you should have like kept dating me or whatever happened there before the war started. Yeah, we still don't know. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, she tells him to look after George uh in the army and says that she knows what those french girls are like which is awfully slut shamey of her she's you know british yeah british working class like that's 1914 like slut shaming the french was what held the british empire together for hundreds of years i think it's actually still happening yeah i think you're right yeah but more more dangerous than a german bullet she says which is <laughs> she didn't say that oh did she, she did yeah how more dangerous than a german bullet yeah that isn't true (laughs) that's actually very untrue (laughs) i mean like could you get syphilis sure was penicillin invented i'm not certain no penicillin Uh, was uh in the 30s i think we'll just wear a french letter we'll be fine (laughs) right you know except for those few french women who are trained ninjas they are more dangerous than a german bullet fair enough yeah Rose thanks Lady May as they stroll through the fashion department. Presumably Keebler is, you know, scampering menacingly <laughs> around in the background. Uh, peering over a branch. Lady May says that things have been difficult, but it made her very happy to help. And she says that Rose can count on her and not worry about her because Rose expresses concern about what's been going on with Lady May. Right, right. But Lady May is stalwart. Yeah. And she doesn't want anybody's pity. Yeah. You know, she's she's, a- she's been bootstrapping it this long. She's not about to uh, mm-hmm. appear weak. She says she's like a champagne cork in the bathtub, always popping up to the top. Yes. I'm like, oh, man. Boy, you've had a sexy life. <laughs> champagne in the bath. <laughs> uh, anyway, so Lady May compliments Delphine and her particular skill set, which have won the day. Mm-hmm. And Rose says that she admires Delphine a great deal. Yeah. Which, Rose never met anyone she didn't admire a great deal. 
She just can't make up her mind to do something. Yeah, she admired that god awful painter. Right? Rose is like the Columbus, Ohio of people. <laughs> she likes everyone and has done nothing. <laughs> Sorry, Columbus. Also, fuck the Buckeyes. We just lost like 50 listeners. Yeah, they take it seriously. I know they do, and I don't understand why. You know, it's just college football, right? Look, we need to move on. (laughs) (laughs) Before we start hemorrhaging (laughs) listeners. And just to clarify, I don't like Michigan either. (laughs) All right, so we can all agree on something. (laughs) I'm not sure that's true, but let's move on. Uh, Harry jokingly complains to Delphine that she hoodwinked him into in that auction. <laughs> yeah, and she's like, oh, sorry. Oh, ha, ha, ha. Harry says that he feels like he could be doing more to help the war effort, uh, you know, rather than just hosting this charity thing that he's, you know, in business. And also because he's American, he can travel to places that English yes. people no longer can. But he doesn't know who to talk to since he was, you know, he, unable to go to the military procurement committee directly mm. because they would not have talked to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Delphine says that what he needs is new friends and she may know just the people. So, I hope it's that tall, like bouncery looking guy. I like uh, the cut of his jib. Potentially. Let's call him Lurch. Maybe it's that gay guy that Lord Loxley blackmailed. Ooh. Yeah. Cause he's got a motive for revenge. I love revenge. <laughs> Lord Loxley, speak of the devil, no. is meeting with yet another boot manufacturer, this one, uh, who is crooked. Yeah. Uh, and he agrees on the bribe, and then Pimble is lurking in the other room, hearing all, because Lord Loxley, terrible at not being spied on. Right. That's very true. I don't true. know if it's just narrative economy or it's class privilege showing, but man, <laughs> he sucks at this. Well, game. I would say class privilege, but he also got spied on by Lady May, but he also thinks of her as a nobody so i don't know it's hard to say what his uh his handicap is there but uh, you know certainly there's some hubris involved yeah uh yeah and you know i think the, they make it very clear as well that this crooked boot manufacturer makes shoddier boots because mm-hmm. pratt was all like it's guaranteed waterproof for like three months blah 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 and this guy was just like yes i'll bribe you yeah <laughs> which the, this is how defense contracting generally works uh, Harry proposes a toast to the assembled masses at the charity event to Rose and to the stalwarts of Selfridges. Which was the phrase that Rose used yes. in the earlier scene. She says that women will be the stalwarts of Selfridges. Yes. Uh, he then says that he has one final surprise and asks them to follow him. So they gather on the balcony that's overlooking the main shop floor. And a, a single military drummer walks in. Not drumming at all to the soundtrack of this drum. <laughs> that is very true. It is ridiculous. Yeah. Well, and it's also like, you know, it's all very like sort of semi-ominous or whatever, which is not the mood that Mr. Selfridge meant it to be striking or that it's striking to the actual people in the scene. There's a sort of, I guess it's just your standard dramatic irony. I don't know. Anyway. I blame my liner. <laughs> uh, so... In the loading bay, we see Crab lining up all the enlistees, uh, getting uh, getting them in order, getting them their shoulders back and everything like that. God uh, Crab, damn it, I love Mr. Crab. Yeah, clearly has military experience. Uh, I was just, I said when we yeah. were watching it, I right. wondered if he was in the Boer War. Right, and it's it seems like he must have been, or even a, or he could have been in an earlier war in India. That's they, because there he, was is, a lot he of, is a bit older than... Uh, Lord uh, Grantham is. Yeah, yeah. So he could have been... 
but he definitely yeah he, like, you can he knows see, his p's and q's yeah yeah so they begin marching the drummer is marching through the shop floor as everybody stops and watches and then the men all march in led by george and uh, fat thomas is in there we see hardy uh and harry announces that these men are off to fight they're off to fight for king and country, and every single one of them will have a job waiting at Selfridge's when they return, and leads three cheers for the Selfridge Brigade. Uh, everybody applauds, and Fat Thomas and Agnes trade a look. Yeah, uh, this is, uh, it's rough. Yeah. It's real rough, y'all. It is real rough. George then uh, leads the hooting and the hollering <laughs> on the way. There is a, a guy from the army there right. to take names uh, to enlist. Mm-hmm. And he asks Kitty Hawkins to write to him. She says, I will. And I just love how mercenary. She's like, oh, okay. <laughs> he leads three cheers for King Country and Miss Kitty Hawkins <laughs> because he's an idiot. Yes. And he signs up with the recruiter. Yeah. So we see Agnes watching the men signing up, and I, I like this cut because they're like halfway through the line, and like the excitement has died down, and it's just a bunch of people, you know, queuing, queuing, and going through the first of what will be an ungodly amount of paperwork for the next few months of their lives. And Martel comes up to her and says that she must be proud and very terrified, and Agnes says that she is, and you know, shows that she is, and Martel says that. Having a big house is nice, but one does rattle around a bit. And she was hoping that Agnes would come stay with her just until George returns. And Agnes accepts, and it's just the nicest thing. Tom's getting all weepy, you guys. <laughs> just for both of them. I... No, look, I'm really excited about this. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's going to be Golden Girls, suffrage <laughs> style. That's right. You know, we may have lost Marvilius, but now we've got Marler. Tartle? I don't... Tartle? Tartle. Tartle is probably the best we're going to do. Yeah. Uh, Mowler? <laughs> I don't like any of this. Yeah. Look, we're not really shipping them. No, we're Look, not. I don't want That's them true. in a sexual it's not a, relationship. No, we just want them to live together and have wacky adventures. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's more of a Laverne and Shirley thing. <laughs> right, right. Uh, however, Gabriella suddenly comes rushing in, uh, says that she needs to find Fat Thomas, uh, and he is still in line waiting to recruit, and she comes up to him and says that Uncle Joe has collapsed. <gasps> so upstairs, Harry tells Mr. Crab that they've pulled off their grand gesture, mm-hmm. and Mr. Crab frets that they'll still need replacements, but Harry says that Mr. Grove has it in hand. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. I know, shocking. Must have read it in those manuals. <laughs> Uh, out in the street, we see Keebler strutting along. We see him from inside a restaurant in which Monsieur Leclerc is handing over the money to the evil guy. And so we see Keebler see this happen. Uh, but I don't see what business it is of Keebler's. Right, I mean, it's, or what he could deduce from I this. I don't know. Like, Leclerc had lunch with a guy and gave him something. Like, that's... I mean, he is evil-looking, but that doesn't mean... So is Keebler. <laughs> right. Upstairs, Crab is shocked, shocked to learn that they will actually be hiring women to replace the men, even in the loading dock. Yeah. At Mr. Selfridge's direction. Yeah. So, all jobs. Look, will be and open. again, this is a classic Mr. Selfridge thing. It was like, oh, I guess women really are the stalwarts. Hire them all. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, Crab can't understand it. But Mr. Grove points out that if his wife's friends can do it, which presumably was the impetus for this idea, right? Well, because Doris, we know Doris from her accent, is from a lower class background, right? Right. And thus, she's got a lot of you know tough, thick 
lower class lady friends <laughs> yeah. who can lift heavy things. Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm excited about this. This yeah. is very a league of their own. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty stoked. Yeah. But no, Grove goes through the whole explanation and, and the, everything like that and says it was Harry's idea, blah, 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 blah. And they get on the elevator and the, and the last line in the scene is Crab just goes, Women, <laughs> like I just he hasn't love even how taken much Mr. anything Crab, in. Like he works for this like super progressive dude, <laughs> right? And he just never ceases to be amazed, <laughs> right? Uh, we see Gabriella give Uncle Joe some water. He is, you know, lying in bed, and uh, Fat Thomas out in the hall is saying goodbye to the doctor and tells Gabriella that the doctor has said that yes, it was a heart attack. Back at the store, Jesse and Kitty are discussing Miss Martle's plans to house Belgian refugees. Right. She got the idea from the horny chocolatier, who I can only assume was the first volunteer. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. But, uh, you know, so there'll be hijinks at the house of Martle. Yeah, so a lot more than we, we realized. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, hey, I mean, she's got six bedrooms. Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah. I wish I had six bedrooms. Here, here. Look, I can't get over my jealousy of her house. Oh, uh, yeah. It's we don't sweet. need six bedrooms. No. We're just having the option. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty sweet. Uh, Uncle Joe is uh, talking to Fat Thomas rather, you know, weakly and uh, dyingly. And says that, uh, that, well, what it is is that he says that it's gonna be alright, he's gonna be alright. Does he say, everything's gonna be alright, rockabye, rockabye? No. (laughs) You are so welcome. (sighs) Um. What he does. You're all welcome. <laughs> what he does is he says that he's going to be fine. He's going to get better, which is like, you know, Fat Thomas correctly takes as a very bad sign because he's always been so pessimistic about his health. Uh, but he says that Fat Thomas, he makes him promise that he needs to stay until Uncle Joe gets well again and he needs to take charge of the family. Uh, and Fat Thomas promises him that he will. We see Monsieur Leclerc arriving at a door. He hesitates, rings the bell, and then, what? Yeah. We don't know. Yeah. We're just as in the dark as you, dear cousin. <laughs> That's right. Uh, Gabriella is sitting up with Uncle Joe, uh, and then Uncle Joe uh, breathes his last, essentially, and, and she calls in Victor, and yeah, Uncle Joe is dead, it would seem. I found, The first time I watched this, like I assumed that was going on, but it, I felt... Yeah, this show does falter a little bit on some of the subtle moments. Yeah. Because it's, like, too subtle. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Okay. Right. Also, I like that you called him Victor when his beloved uncle died. (laughs) And not Fat Thomas. (laughs) At Selfridge House, Rose is going up to bed and says she had a wonderful day. And thanks, Harry. He says she's beautiful. He moves in for the kiss. They make out for a second. And then Rose breaks off and heads up to bed. But all flirty-like. Oh, yeah. Oh, if they're not banging again by the next episode, I will be very surprised. Yeah. Cause, oh man. She could still have another kid, dude. Yeah, that's she true. Could. I wouldn't advise it. Well. They've already got that demon child. <laughs> right. Like, Beatrice will just end up sacrificing the kids. So. <laughs> At last, the key to immortality <laughs> is mine. Beatrice? But I want it. <laughs> 
You can be immortal when you go to college. (laughs) (laughs) We see Fat Thomas sitting at a table. He pours himself some uh, more wine, clearly not his first. um, And there's a knock at the door, and he gets up. Mustache is drinking with uh, Henry and Monsieur Leclerc. So I guess, were they at, at Henry's house? They were. They're in his sitting room. Yeah, they're in his the sitting room. With the portrait of Beatrice. So that yeah. was, was that the door that Monsieur Leclerc knocked at? No. Okay. That was, I don't know what that was. Well, no, it wasn't. It couldn't, no, because he does that and then we see well, Rose going to bed and. I'm, I'm sure that, I say that it wasn't because it was shot from an angle that we've never seen Selvig's okay. house shot from. Anyway, we don't know what he was getting up to, but right. he is currently discussing their plans to, to hire women at Selfridges. Uh, and then Mustache says that there are reports of a military defeat at Mon. Mon. I don't know if you pronounce the S or not. Okay. Yeah. Mon. Mons. Right. We're not sure. Uh, but he isn't allowed to write the truth. He's very upset. He's being uh, stymied. Yeah. And as are all of the reporters. Right. Because they are being pressured to deliver a narrative that is consistent with the government's goals for mm-hmm. military engagement. Yeah. Uh, Harry says that they probably have a good reason for oh, censoring right. the press. Mustache and all right-thinking people <laughs> can't agree. Yeah. And uh, so a little history here. Uh, the Battle of Mons, or Mons, whatever it was, it was the first battle that the British side uh, fought in by the, when they got their tri- troops shipped over there. Uh, it was a defeat. They lost about, Mustache speaks of uh, reports of lots of deaths, and there were, there were about 1,800, which is ironic that they're con- calling that lots of deaths because in a couple of years that would just be, you know, Tuesday. Yeah. Like, you know, to lose that many people. Um, but what was really the issue was that that, the retreat was badly handled and badly coordinated between the English and the French, so they wound up... Well, because of the single command problem. Right. Um, and so they wound up in, you know, full flight and uh, all the way to the outskirts of Paris before they were finally able to stop and turn things around and then fight in the trenches for the next four years. We see Fat Thomas sitting with Agnes. Who she is the one who knocked. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> True. Sorry, Breaking Bad fans. No, that no. wasn't even a whistle. No, I know. Whistle. That was just... <laughs> and he tells her what uh, his uncle had said about making him promise to stay and that that was his you know, dying wish. And Agnes says that his family needs him and that she needs him as well, that she doesn't think she could have faced losing George and Fat Thomas at the same time. He says he says that he's not a coward, and she says that she knows that, and she leans over and takes his hand, at which point Gabriella walks in, and it's awkward. Right. And Agnes is like, oh, uh, I should probably go uh, so you can be with your actual girlfriend and not me. Uh, I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> it, so, yeah, it's awkward. And then Gabriella says that Fat Thomas loves Agnes and walks out. Like, nobody cares if he loves Agnes, Gabriella. Right. You hold on to that dick. Yeah. Anyway, that's our position. Right. Like, I mean- Monsieur Leclerc is back. All right? <laughs> like, you're F you, Fat Thomas. <laughs> Except not. Well, right. Harry walks Mustache to the door, and then New Gordon asks what Mustache wanted, and then says, "Good, like, what... Yeah. Go away, New Gordon. Right. I was just thinking how he'd barely been in this episode. Right. And I'm like, this isn't good enough of a reason to bring him back. It really isn't. So Agnes is sitting in a chair at her place, uh, you know, staring into space. It's been quite a day. Get your 
freaking tissues out, y'all. Yeah. Uh, but George comes in and says that he's going out to celebrate. They're all, they've all going out to the pub to celebrate their enlistment. Uh, and so she gets up and says, oh, you're not going out like that and straightens up his collar and says that she's, you know, still going to take care of him as long as he's there. And she says that she'll miss him and says that he is all she's got, but he's all she has ever needed. And she hopes he knows that. Uh, and she asks, asks him to promise her one thing to come home and he does promise and they embrace and bitches be crying yeah because oh my god george teller is so gonna die yeah uh right you know i just feel like they have to i don't know you know i'm very curious to see what happens next yeah because it's like who's all gonna go i mean mustache i don't necessarily see him as the war correspondent type right you know Henri's from france so it's like, what's his involvement going to be? Right. My question right. is, are all his shady business dealings something to do with armaments? Like, is he like running gun money or something? Well, interesting. But I was, I would guess not simply because there's a different plot line going on with, you know, military shenanigans with Lord Loxley. I guess so, but it seems more like guerrilla style to me. I don't know. Yeah. I could be wrong. Um, yeah. I feel like, yeah, but if you're running guns, I don't feel like you live in Hobo Towers. That's fair. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, maybe he's working his way up from the bottom. <laughs> he was smuggling them in his beard. <laughs> you know, New Gordon's almost certainly going to try to enlist one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Igor doesn't seem too keen on the thought. It's true. Um, you know, and then if we go far enough into the draft, like... Right. It's hard to say what's going to happen. Yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. conscription. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So we'll see what happens to all of our young men. Yeah. And uh, we will pick it up with the next episode. That's right. But until next time, up, up yours, yours downstairs. downstairs. Luncheon out. <laughs> <laughs>